your Bible, go with me to Matthew um, chapter 16, uh, is where we're going to be this morning. And um, thank you to the worship team for leading us in worship. And, you know, it's, it's a Sunday kind of tradition to gather together as a family. And, and we sang a song, Here I Am to Worship. Here I am this morning to say, you know what, God, you're worthy. Uh, God, I, I, I choose you uh, this morning to come and meet with, to take the Scriptures and say, okay, God, what do you want to speak to me out of the Scriptures? And so as you have your Bible in front of you, I, I recognize that you're living in a day and age in a society where basically uh, you can live however you want to, uh, do what you want to, when you want to. And so this morning as we sung a song, we sing, here I am to worship, okay, the Scriptures, will you listen now? Will you take what is in front of you? Is God's Word to you this morning? Say, okay, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to see you in the Scriptures today. I want to understand what you wanted for me to hear out of the book of Matthew. So if you start in Matthew chapter 16, you're going to give you three words this morning. The first word is you're going to see a group of individuals uh, that are going to be have some demands. And it's fascinating to me who they are. We'll say a little bit, talk a little bit about that. But as you transition, or as you take the Scripture, and you take Matthew chapter 16, and, and you look at these individuals and their demands, and then you pause and say, okay, is it really Jesus and only Jesus? Is Jesus all that you need? Or is it Jesus plus this and this and this, and then I'm happy, or I'm okay, or I'm satisfied, or I'm living in joy? The next word that you're going to get a chance to, to see is, is the word doctrine. And Jesus is going to walk with these disciples. He's going to challenge them. And really, the word that I want to put together with that doctrine is the word truth. We're living in a society in a day and age where you've been bombarded by information. And what's scary for me, or not really scary, what's sad is people sitting in buildings that have the Scriptures in front of them are believing the lies of the world. They're saying, no, but... But I, I have needs and I have wants and I need to be happy or this, this, whatever it might be. When the scripture is clear, the truth is there. The United States of America, their home situation, our home situation now is bad. And I wonder why. I'm thinking, why is it so bad? We have more information. We have more Bible teaching. We have more podcasts. We have more DVD series that we can watch. We have more translations of the Scripture than we've ever had before. We have more people that can give us information about, oh, yeah, this is what the Scripture says. We apply it to your life. And the majority of the homes in the United States of America are empty when it comes to Christ. And I don't know if, if I'll do this. I thought about this uh, this morning. I might go, and uh, Tuesday we'll have our pastor's time together, so... Uh, Grace Bible and Avon Park Lakes and First Baptist and Sebring and Faith, uh, Faith and Families and Whispering Pines and First Baptist and Lake Placid will gather to pray together. And I wonder if there's even going to be 10,000 people this weekend in church in Highlands County. 12,000 students in our school system. And I don't even think we can get 10,000 people in church on weekends. I was informed that there are 62 or 63 churches in Highlands County. So you would think that the gospel would be going running rampant in our community, but it's not. 
And I wonder why. Is that we as individuals are not thinking that should be the priority of who we are because that's truth and that's the only thing that can help people? Or are we saying, you know what? Well, maybe you just need to go do this or maybe this can help you or maybe this can help Well, just go, go buy this or go live here or make sure your kid gets in this school, whatever. And it's not saying, hey, I can help you and his name is Jesus. And that's the truth. Fact, bottom line, answer, done. It's the gospel. And then as you third word you're going to get a chance to look at this morning is building. And as you think about Christ, and when you read this, this uh, Matthew chapter 16, you're going to, it's going to remind you, oh yeah, that's Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build the church. And it's fascinating that these guys are walking with Jesus. The rock is standing in front of them, but they don't even see him. So we are, there's a temptation to build on a lot of different things. Well, you know, Andy Stanley said this, and Charles Stanley says this, and da 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 but are we going to be willing to build our house on the rock? Saying, Lord, you're it. It's you. And what's interesting is, you know what? Jesus will not take second seat to anyone. I don't care who they are. If you're going to build, it's only going to be Jesus. If a church is going to last, it's only going to be because of Jesus. And so at times we want to step in there and say, well, maybe there's a little credit. No, it's not. Just step aside, watch the church go. Jesus is going to do it. Are you going to be part of it or not? Are you going to jump on board and say, hey, I'm here and the gospel matters to me. So let's do something about this. So Matthew chapter 16, the first word, as you open up the scriptures, uh, let me get to Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So he left and departed from them. Start out this morning with this passage of Scripture, and if you don't mind, let's just back it up to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's start there. It's interesting that two people that don't work well together, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, are coming to Jesus to test him. Do you remember when your kid was in middle school and your son walked up to you and said, you know what, Dad, I think I can take you. He's like, I, I think I got this now. He's going to test you as a father. And then when they were in middle school, you're like, okay, this is not a big deal. Uh, no problem, I can put them down. Then they turn 18. And then you know it's not worth it. If they come to you and say, let's go, it's not worth it on next day what it's going to cost you to try to get them down again or hold them down. It's not worth it. So it's almost like these Pharisees and the Sadducees are walking up to Jesus like some little kid saying, you know what, I think we can take this guy. I think we can ask him a question or say to him, you know what, we want to see a sign. You really got it still? Are you really as powerful as you say you are? And it's fascinating to me that these guys are so immature enough to say, you know what, show us a sign. If, if, if I would have been Jesus, I would have said, you know what, why don't you all just look around? That guy walks. That guy talks. That guy's been cured of leprosy. What, what, what more do you want? Do you want me to do 10,000 people? 25,000 people? What do you want? We want to see a sign in the sky. We demand that you show us your power. <laughs> really? 
you want me to show, demonstrate my power to you. The Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, let me just give you a little word picture of these Pharisees and Sadducees. They're the working class. The Pharisees are the working class people. They make their living by a trade. They're conservative. And they're kind of one of those, they're real legalistic. They want to protect Judaism from the Gentiles. The Sadducees made their money by selling sacrificial animals in the temple. They spiritualized the scriptures. They're pretty liberal in their thinking. They are very materialistic. They do not believe in angels. They do not believe in the resurrection from the dead or any supernatural act. Now, this is fascinating to me. It's like we don't believe in the supernatural, but by the way, would you, could you just show us a sign? Show us you got something. Show us your aha moment. We, we don't believe in it anyway, but we just want to you know, ask for the sign. And so Jesus then says to them, okay, I'll give you a sign, or let's talk about it. Here's the sky. You can determine that. If it's beautiful out like that, you know it's not going to rain. If it's like this in red and, and you see the cloud covering, you know it's going to rain. That's a sign. By the way, I am the one that creates the sky. By, I'm the one that knows when it's going to rain. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm not going to give you a sign because you're an adulterous generation. I find that word adulterous kind of interesting to me. It's almost like a play on words. It's almost like he wants to go flip this thing, just turn it all the way around and say, you know what? You guys are all about yourself anyway. You think you know all the answers. You want to have fun. You're going to live for yourself. You're an adulterous generation. I'm not going to answer you. The sign that I give you is the sign of Jonah. And I'm sitting there thinking, and as I'm looking at the scriptures this week, I'm thinking, the sign of Jonah, all the things that he pulled out and said, yeah, I want to give you a sign. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. I'm going to give you the sign that I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise again. I'm going to give you the sign that there's going to be an individual that's going to come and walk in here in this property, in this land, and after they've came to know me as Savior and Messiah and King and powered by the Holy Spirit, they're going to walk through this land and share the gospel. And the church is going to just flourish? I don't know exactly all that you can wrap into this concept with Jonah. But it's interesting that he's saying to these Pharisees and the Sadducees, guess what? I have the power, and their lives are going to be radically changed because I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise again, and the gospel is going to go forward. That's my sign to you. Now what's interesting is, as you think about demands, and you have these first four verses, I want to do something with you. I want to put a thought on the screen, okay? A thought for you and I sitting in this building this morning is this. It's normal for us to say, I need more. Here I am to worship. Make sure I get a good parking spot at lunch. Here I am to bow down. Make sure they get my unsweet TV on time. Here I am to say that you're my God. But by the way, I need this. I got some demands here. Could you, could, you, could you take care of me? Could you make me happy? Could you make me live long? Could you give me some extra cash? Could you help me do? And it's just, it's, so it's, there's a temptation for you to sit here to say, you know what, I have my demands this morning. Jesus, I want to be healthy. My goal is, this is me, Live as long as he wants me to, and then just die of a heart attack. Boom, it's over. And I, want, I don't like hospitals. I don't like needles. I don't like staying in there, eating that nasty food. I don't like any of those scenarios. Okay, so this is my plan. Now, what, how arrogant would that be to really believe that? Say, God, this is what I think you should do. 
But at times I say, God, I have demands. You know what is not natural for us? Let me show you this next slide. And then let's keep the words off the screen for a second. Because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because I've said yes to forgiveness of my sins, I really should be less demanding. If I am here this morning and say, yes, here I am to worship, then all I need is my Savior. All I need is to know that He will never leave me nor forsake me. All I need to know is Psalm 91. He will be my refuge if I choose Him. You know what's sad? Just because you're older does not mean you become less demanding. You become more demanding. But yet you say you love Jesus. Hmm. You say, here I am to worship. He's the cornerstone, really. Huh. And I want to say something here. This is no respecter of ages, okay? Just, just because you're 70 does not mean you're less demanding than a middle school student. And I have nothing against middle school students. I work with the middle school students. Yeah, I like them. They crack me up, actually. So I'm, I'm all for it. You know what's fun is to sit with a sixth-grade middle school student and have to answer the question, if God really knew that Satan was going to deny him and sin, why did God allow Satan to be alive? Why did he just kill him? If, if you don't come to know Christ before you get Alzheimer's, will you spend eternity in heaven or hell? Or if you come to know Christ before you get Alzheimer's and then you get Alzheimer's, are you going to spend eternity in heaven or hell? I sat with a sixth grade girl, Susan and I did, at a Sebring High School soccer match answering those questions. And I've sat with 70-year-old, spiritually immature men and women say, I just want my way. And they're just as demanding at 70 as they were when they were two. I don't want that to be part of who we are. I want the cross to affect us and to end up looking like this. What is normal, what is not normal, is to receive what is given to us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The race marked for us. It was given to us. Here I am to worship. Here I am to battle. Here I am to fix my eyes on Jesus. No matter what's in front of me. Demands. The next word that I want us to look at, drop down to verse 5, is the word doctrine. When disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, the disciples, oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves and the five thousands and how many baskets you gathered? Or, the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak to you about the bread? 
Beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not uh, tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I want to just give you a little bit about this. You have the word watch in the beginning of this this passage here in, in Matthew chapter 16. Watch and beware of the leaven. It's important for you and I. So I kind of, word picture would be is, there's times in, in my marriage relationship, I won't speak for anybody else, um, that when Susan's communicating with me, I'm, she will say to me, are you listening? And I will say yes, but I'm actually watching, you know, a football game or whatever, you know. And then she will say to me, did you hear me? Yes, I heard you. I have no idea what you want me to repeat to you because I really wasn't listening, right? So as you think about, so as you pull this, so when I really, when, when Susan wants to communicate with me, what is best for me is to turn off the TV, move my phone away, move the computer away, and then just sit and look at her. I know it's foreign, totally foreign concept to you, but your wife probably really likes to look at you eyeball to eyeball. Okay, now I can pay attention. I can focus that way. I can really listen. Jesus is saying to these disciples, watch. Beware. Beware of what? The false teaching. So as you think about, I want to just give you a couple things that you're aware of this. As you, as he's saying, as you think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their teaching, what did they teach? They taught, the, the Pharisees taught legalism. Okay, they taught, this is what you do with the external part of who you are. Obey the rules, look like this. So really, the Pharisees taught people how to be a hypocrite. Act like this, but don't deal with anything that's going on on the inside of who you are as an individual. The Pharisees on the other, or the Sadducees on the other side were not legalistic. They were very liberal. Um, they were individuals that were very materialistic. It was all about the stuff that they had. And so Jesus is saying to guys, listen, it's not about the bread. You're distracted by the circumstances. You heard one word, bread. You should have known that I can feed you wherever we are. Hello. Where you gathered the baskets after the 5,000. You gathered baskets after 4,000. Great word picture, great power, demonstration of his power. You got distracted in the circumstances. You got distracted in the br- when I said bread. I can take care of you. What you need to be aware of is the false doctrine. Beware that the Pharisees will come to you with legalism and they will talk about all the external parts. This is what you do to look like spirituality. This is what you do to be a Christian. And then the Sadducees will be the ones who are saying, you know what, you just need more. Just get more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, materialistic. And so there's going to be a war once Jesus leaves. Who's going to win this war? Well, we know that Christ is going to build on this church and the gates of hell is not going to stop it. But they had to be aware. How do I make that practical to you? Okay. Let's just put this on the screen. You're probably not thinking about your death, but you probably need to. Because one day you're going to look Jesus face to face. And you'll be held accountable for your actions. So don't get distracted by the materialism of the world. Don't get distracted by the 
thought processes and the lies that are going on all around you. Like you're going to, you're, well, I'm guaranteed to live 70 years. Well, you know, God loves you. He's got me to live a long life. There's no guarantees. So be aware. Oh, fact. Show them this next slide. If someone is always telling you what you want to hear, you might need to check again. There's a temptation to sit in circles to tell you what you want to hear. How do I know that? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is pretty clear. And if you read on to chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, hey, there's going to be a time when people just want to know that everything's okay, that they're okay, that life is okay. They want their ears tickled. They don't want to come to the reconciliation and reality of, wait a minute, maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I need to be held in account for my choices, my thoughts. Maybe I just need to do a little bit of evaluation. That's where we're living in the United States of America. I can give you any form of doctrine that you want. You can ask your phone, hey, what do you think? So when you leave, push your phone on the way out. What do you, Siri, what do you think about Jesus? And then just listen, see what she says. Some of you are a little more high-tech than that. You have this little thing called Alexa that you ask Alexa. Alexa, what about this? Alexa, what about this? You can find any sin that you want. You can find an individual to verify it. To say, it's not that bad. It's okay. What is the Word of God called? Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in an adulterous generation. We have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. You're in church. The Scripture's in front of you. Watch your doctor. Know truth. Just because somebody's on TV is not true. Just because somebody has a podcast, just because somebody has a title, just because somebody's a pastor, we have trained, churches have trained people for somebody to come up front, talk about something, and then we leave. I don't think that's the best way to go about it. One of the things I love to do is Thursday morning is a Bible study. There's a group of us men that sit around in a circle, and we'll read a passage of Scripture, and we talk about the passage of Scripture. It's fun. Some things that they think about, I have never even thought about. It's like, wow, that's a pretty neat passage of Scripture. Oh, that's a pretty neat verse. That's a pretty neat thought. It's all around this way. You need to interact with the Scriptures personally. You don't need to always listen to what I say to you about the Scriptures. I'm interacting with the Scriptures. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I want to know truth for me in a wicked world, and I want you to know truth. And truth is not always easy. The last word that I want you to see is build. Build. Go to verse 13. Now when Christ came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. So one of the things I love about Christ is you watch him do ministry, he asks questions. And so he's going to ask this question. He says, who do people say that I am? That's his first question. And then he's going to, then the, the disciples are going to rattle off. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, other Jeremiah. Other the prophets. And then he said to them. So now he's got his group together. He said to them, Who do you say I am? 
That is huge. Do not miss that in the Scriptures. He's asking the individuals that are listening to him. Yes, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say a prophet. Who do you say? Who do those individuals that are sitting in that voice, that opportunity to hear his voice, who do you say that I am? It's important for you to know what you believe about Jesus. Who do you say that he is? Are you here this morning to say, here I am to worship you, Jesus. Here I am to say, you're the cornerstone of my life. Here I am to say, you're the one that rescued me from that grave. You're the one that set me free. Is that what we're saying this morning? And Peter's going to be the one that's be recorded and his response, and it's pretty awesome. Verse 15, and then Simon replied, By the way, just a little fun note about Peter. He's the one that sank in the water. He's the one that's going to deny Christ three times. All those things for you and I to be excited to know that God uses fails, broken people that don't have it all together. So maybe you just need to get over yourself and get on with Jesus. Maybe it's not all about you. Maybe it's about you saying, you know what, here I am, Jesus, just me and you. Here I am to worship you. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the King. You're the one that offers forgiveness. You're the one that they talk about in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You're the one that's talked about in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You're the one. And I realized this morning that we could talk a lot about building and church and all this thing. And this is when you think about the word building and you look at this passage of Scripture, just know it's always going to be about Jesus. Upon the rock. The rock. Who's the rock? Jesus. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, Paul's talking to a group of new believers, a young church, pretty messed up. They're living in society, living in the world. He's going, to, he's going to encourage them for the Holy Spirit to draw them out of the world and live differently in a broken world, 1 Corinthians. And, and there's some arguments in the church. Well, you know, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. Get over, who cares who you follow? Paul didn't do it, Apollos didn't do it. Who did it? Christ, he's the cornerstone. He will always be the cornerstone. As you watch things happen in your life, and God does things in your life, it will always be Christ that does it. He's the only one that can set you free. He's the only one that can heal you from the inside out. He's the only one that can restore your soul. And so know when you're building in church and, and all those things, it'll always be about Christ. So I just want to give you a couple more verses and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. As you think about as a church, as I think about building, how do we encourage us as a church? So one of the verses I want you to see is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So take your Bible and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No, that's not where I want to go first. I want to go to Luke 10 first. I didn't put that one in my notes. Luke 10. Jesus with his disciples, the 72 have been sent out. Now they return back to Jesus. And they're all excited. And they, they're, they're all excited about what the external things. And so look what he says. The 72 return um, with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and and scorpions and, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. In verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Don't rejoice that you can cast out demons. Don't rejoice that you can do something with a serpent or a scorpion. Don't rejoice that I've given you power over all these things. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name are written in heaven. Wow, isn't that exciting? So often you hear, well, this church did this, or this person did this, or this, 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 and it's nothing about that. What's most exciting? Jesus' word. Rejoice that your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're in heaven. Ephesians. Uh, let's put the next one on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. As we as a family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, what is our, how are we going to build on the rock? We have to build on the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works that no one should boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do we know that as the gospel? If I brought the microphone to you and said to you, what's one of the key things for us to build as a family? What is one of the priorities? It has to be that we know the gospel. That we can take people to the passage of Scripture and say, oh yeah, here, this is what you need to know. That we can take individuals to Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 and say it's by grace we can take people to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and say, God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can take people to, to Romans chapter 8, say, you know what, God's in control. All things work together for good. Can we do that? Another thing that's important for us as you think about building on the foundation of Christ and the rock as the gospel is Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Take your Bible to go to Colossians chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul's talking to the church at Colossae, asking them to be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of light. May you never, ever get over that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. May you have enough spiritual maturity to know that Paul says to this church at Colossae in in verse 11 that they find their strength in him. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's never going to be about you. You cannot do this but you can ask him for help. Holy Spirit, strengthen me. Um, We're out of time, so let's just put the last uh, picture on the screen. So three words. Demand, doctrine, build. How demanding are you? And please don't think about your spouse or your neighbor or somebody else at work. 
have enough guts and humility to say, say, God, how demanding am I? I always, always have to have my way. Or as what Christ has done in you changed you. Has the gospel that we know actually impacted who we are? Have we allowed that truth, that doctrine to say, okay, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That I am a new creation. Old things pass away. That I'm an ambassador to a community that is broken. How has that, how has the death, burial, and resurrection, that doctrine, how has that impacted who you are? And then what's so exciting is then just step back and watch him do things. Just watch Jesus build. Watch Jesus change your life. Watch Jesus give you opportunities to bump into people. I was, um, I went down to the hospice house the other day and I was talking with the Brewer family and, and I don't know the family. I'm trying to, in my mind, I try to piece it all together and I still don't, I think I kind of have an idea, but I, I didn't know uh, real well. And so I'm, uh, one of their sons is there, and he's from Jacksonville. And so we're just talking. And, and so, and he starts talking about Africa. And then he paused. And I said, well, you know, we worked in South Africa. He's like, really? Well, yeah, we were in, down in Johannesburg. And, and so then I was starting to think about the foreknowledge of God to send me and Susan and Rachel and Seth to South Africa so that sometime he could bring me back to America to go down to a hospice house to have a conversation with a guy who grew up in Africa as his mom is passing away. Wow. That's how gospel works. That's how Jesus works. I, I can't plan these things. You know, Rachel asked us the other day, were you afraid when you went to Africa? I said, no, Rachel, I think we were just dumb enough to trust God to go. God, you want us to go to Africa? We'll go. Knowing that I'd only been out of the country once, I went to Europe, we landed in London, like, okay, well, now they say, well, wait a minute, you can't fly out of, you know, there's two airports in London. There's Gatwick and and Heathrow. I didn't know that. You know, I'm just like, I'm just a kid from Indiana that never left Indiana without a hand-drawn map from my father. Now I'm in London, Heathrow's airport, people walk around machine guns, I'm thinking, now what am I going to do? He said, well, you got to go get all your suitcases, and you have to ride an hour on the bus to Gatwick. Well, I just we just flew all night long. All right, Lord, we're going to go get on the bus. So I go down there, find all my suitcases, and you know Rachel's just two, so she's, she doesn't have any clues. She can't help carry anything. So we got all of our suitcases. I get to the bus, give it to my suitcases to the guy, and I hand him 10 pounds. I didn't know their money was much more valuable than my American money. So I hand this guy like a $25 tip, and he loaded like six bags in the bottom of a bus. I'm thinking, well, that Jew just made out, but I didn't know. But God was working. And God said, I want to take this kid from Indiana to Africa to a hospice house. That's how God works. Why? Because he wants the gospel to go one step farther. He wants us to love one more person. So let's be less demanding more open to the gospel, and watch him build. Just get out of the way. Because you know what? Paul tells us that we are his ambassadors, so let's go do the job. God chose you to be ambassador to Highlands County. 
So allow the gospel to work in you so it can affect people that are out there. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be around your scriptures today and worship you today. Now will you take your scriptures and mold and shape us, teach us, encourage us, convict us, kick us in the sea of the pants, whatever you need to do. Do it so loudly, Holy Spirit, that we say, wow, I hear him. And then we humble ourselves in front of that and say, okay, now, what do you want to do with me? I'm yours. You build. I'll be part of the gospel because the gospel is changing me. So maybe I pass it on to somebody else. Father, thank you that we came and met with you today. Holy Spirit, empower us, encourage us, send us out as ambassadors and warriors for you into a broken community called Highlands County. We love you, Jesus. Your name I pray. Amen.